It's my great pleasure to introduce today's speaker, and, and uh, she's a person that I have known for probably about eight years. She's a very respected physical medicine therapist in this community. She has worked with me. We've sat in class together as students. I have been in some of the classes that she has taught. She is inspiring and empowering. Please welcome with me our very own Staff Minister, Reverend Connie Nissen. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you for your welcome. It's wonderful to be here and to see everyone and to enjoy this day together. So let us begin in consciousness because that's, that's where it happens. Who's waving at me? <laughs> Lots of people now. <laughs> Lovely to see all of you. Okay, take a big breath. And let yourself feel these words, know them. Take what you like. Let it resonate in the very soul and depth of your being. Knowing that there is only one. One mind, one heart, one love. It is a power for good in this universe. It is everywhere present, forever giving and creating from itself, giving life. And we are that life that it lives. And it responds to us, our thoughts, our words, our actions, constantly recreating, nudging us, into that higher idea of who and what we are, speaking truth into our ear, delighting us with its joyful ways in nature, and challenging us sometimes to remember, to step up to the plate when circumstances call us. Because there are only two calls in this life, one to experience love and one to give love. And so this day I remember who and what I am. And I know that this, this thing I call life is living in and through and as me. And I embrace it in all its glory. And I know that my best life is happening to me right here and right now. So I am awakened this day to the magnificence of the possibility and the potential. I see spirit revealed everywhere I look. And for that I am grateful. And I know that when something doesn't look perfect, I know that that is my call. My call to remember, my call to be that love, my call to be that compassion, that generosity, that peace, and that presence here on earth to be a reminder to others. I can do that. And I am grateful. I'm grateful for all of those who step up in service this day to make this service possible who take these words, this teaching, and add meaning to it and put it into practice daily in their lives that others are inspired and benefit. And so I release these words thoughtfully, lovingly, gratefully, knowing that that's the way it is. So it is. Well, good morning. Reverend Patrick has flown the coop 
He's in California already, getting ready for our conference that begins next week in Asilomar, and I'll join him and Laura and many other, some of our other leadership here will be going down, and I'm very excited about that. Reverend Patrick started us this month on a book called As I Believe, and it's a collection of essays written by some celebrities from the past and the present and other names that you may not recognize. But they're all quite inspiring. They all talk about what some belief that they hold that has stood them in good stead in in their lives. And so my topic today is what could happen if? What could happen if? And it's led me to think a lot about belief and what I believe and how my beliefs have changed over the course of my lifetime and where they've taken me and where this teaching has fit in for me. And in reflection, because we're kind of doing a retro day today, uh, I thought about when I was a little girl and one of my favorite activities to do, especially if I was, you know, if it's a rainy day or feeling a little under the weather or something, was to do jigsaw puzzles. My mother had a vast collection of jigsaw puzzles. And as I got older, of course, the jigsaw puzzles got more pieces and tinier and you know the story. And I love to do them. And I like to do them over and over again because, you know, once you know the outcome, you can be quicker at it, right? But one thing I really did not like doing was putting together a jigsaw puzzle where I knew in advance there would be a piece missing. I needed to have all the pieces. I needed to have the big picture. And I needed to know that the piece I was looking for wasn't that missing piece, right? So it was frustrating. So I always, you know, had this need. And, and I sort of grew up that way, that having this need to want to know, to have the big picture, to have all the pieces in my life in place before I made a decision or took action or made a choice. And, you know... That's great. There's so much more information available on the internet at the click of a finger. If you're going to purchase something, you can get a subscription to Consumer Reports. You can look at blogs. You can look online what other people say. You can compare prices. There's so much information out there to help us make decisions. And still sometimes our decisions might go a little sideways. (laughs) And so life is like that that we don't necessarily physically know everything we would like to know before we make a decision or a choice. Yesterday I had the immense pleasure of performing a wedding ceremony and of course if it's a Saturday in July, chances are ministers are out there doing wedding ceremonies and yesterday was just like that for me. But this was a a very special one. Uh, The bride was one of my daughter's very, very best friends and... Uh, they're all 24 and uh, these girls have there's a group of them and they've all gone to school since kindergarten and some of them even went to university together in the same program took this it's amazing took the same classes for a while and you know now here they are at 24 out there working enjoying life and and the first one of the blonde girls because most of them are bright blonde um, got married and I was asked to do the ceremony and of course it was my deep pleasure this family in particular where the the bride was from uh, lived nearby us for a number of years and uh, drove my daughter and my my son for a while to school they they did a lot and uh, you know sometimes we look for giving to give our children stability by you know 
letting them grow up in the family home all their lives or um, staying together in a relationship with their other parent. And I couldn't give any of that to my kids. But the one thing that, uh, that they did have that provided some stability and consistency in their lives was they got to go to school with a core group of friends who were just awesome people and and now they're still as young adults very close so it was really heartfelt and and very precious to me to be able to officiate at the ceremony for this young woman and of course I wanted to get the words just right I wanted to say exactly the perfect thing that a new newlywed couple needs to hear so that they can have the best marriage the best life the best of everything and I didn't want to lie. <laughs> and so it was a very heartfelt moment as, as the bridesmaids, my daughter, her friends, the bride come walking down the aisle and there I am standing and I'm getting choked up already and I'm thinking, what the heck, you know? <laughs> I'm the one that's supposed to be holding this service together. <laughs> but I kept having flashbacks of this beautiful young bride as a little girl and growing up and all the antics these girls got into and whatnot. And and here she was, you know, she found the man of her dreams and a very wonderful person he is too. And, And it was just, it was a beautiful, special moment. And I realize, and I know, that brides and grooms don't remember everything you say in their wedding ceremony. So I always write it down and give them a gift copy so they can look at it later. But I I know that. And I know that our children, you know, we try to instill in them uh, values, beliefs, morals, and things like that. And and that's when children are most influenced by their parents, by the significant adults in their life. And of course, there comes a point, usually sometime in those teen years, where they start to kind of question some of those things they learned earlier in life, where they have to come into their own space and come to decide what they believe and form their own belief system. And it's often based on what they experience unless they have really embraced a teaching or a philosophy or a spiritual way of life. Often a lot of our beliefs become tied to what we've experienced and then we expect that that might happen again and again and again. And so I wanted to be very careful what I said in this wedding ceremony, but I also accept that... um, People come into their belief systems themselves and we decide what we believe and and where we place our our thoughts and our prayers and and all that uh, sort of thing. And so there is this, you know, developmental nature to our belief system. And of course, we're, we're not just affected anymore by just our parents or our teachers or our coaches or those significant adults in our lives, our parents or our friends' parents or whatnot, because there are so many other influences on our youth today that come from so many different directions that we as parents really, we can't control. We can't control what shows up on the news, what's on the internet, the books they read, the things that attract their attention. And so they have many influences, and I think it can be very confusing. And when they're very concrete thinkers and they think that everything they see is the truth, it can really turn things a little bit backwards. I'm so grateful to uh, Sandra Gibbs. She's sitting at the very back there, but she accompanied as a youth advisor our teens to camp this past week, and she returned very late last night. There she is. (laughs) 
and uh, very late, midnight, and that's why we don't see teens here today because they got home so late. But I'm just so grateful that that there are those who step up and help to create an experience for our youth to have an experience where they question their beliefs and they have an opportunity to see what choices there are with regard to beliefs and to do this in a very safe environment with lots of people, with lots of adults who have embraced this teaching and this idea that Ernest Holm philosophizes about and that they have that opportunity to find out more of who and what they are. And it's very sad when we send our children off to have opportunities like this that they don't come home. And that's what happened to a family in southeastern BC this weekend for a young man who went to a Bible camp and in a storm a tree fell on his cottage and he's not going home. And sometimes things like that happen and it's not my place to judge why or why not. There have been so many incidents in the news in this past while that show us that our world is shifting and changing, or is it? There have been mudslides and floods and all those occurrences in nature where people just happen to get in the way and life changes. And there are these opportunities where we question our beliefs sometimes. And then this past week there was the the unfortunate shooting at the theater in Aurora, Colorado, where a gunman let loose and 10, peep, 10 or 12 people didn't leave that theater and many others were injured. And after that happened all, the, all over this weekend, I've been getting a flood of emails uh, from leadership within our organization because uh, our sister center, the New Dawn Center for Spiritual Living in Aurora, has one of their members who's not showing up to service today, who didn't make it out of that theater uh, on that fateful day. And so it can happen to any of us, anywhere, life just happens. And these are the moments that call into question sometimes what we really believe and what, I'm being, what am I being called to. And uh, in all the flurry of emails that, that came out, from our leadership, there was one that stood out for me uh, greatly, and it was one that was um, authored by Aaron Gandhi, who I believe is the grandson of Mahatma. And his email really touched me in a great way, and I wanted to share it with you. And he writes, My heart goes out today to the people of Aurora who have suffered this immense and mindless tragedy, to those who have lost their loved ones and to those who escaped with injuries, this incident will never make any sense. The word why will always haunt them. Already the nation is screaming for more protection, more security, and yes, the government has already set the security apparatus in motion and we will gladly surrender more of our freedom in order to be safe. And as much as this is a time for sympathy and healing, it is also a time for soul-searching. It is easy to isolate this incident as an evil act of a madman and tighten security and move on with life. We have done this over and over again, but the scourge of violence refuses to disappear. And why will it, he says, when we find so much joy in violence and feed our children this diet from the time they learn to walk? In fact, violence has become so pervasive that it has overtaken our speech, our entertainment, relationships, politics, culture, religion, and in fact, every aspect of human life.
In less than 15 years, Colorado has suffered two senseless national tragedies in which scores of innocent lives have perished, not to speak of the mindless violence and killings that plague our cities every day. Just as hate begets more hate, violence begets more violence. So in the sacred memory of those who have died, let us pledge to stop glorifying violence and to build a society of love, compassion, respect, and understanding. He signs off with heartfelt sympathies, Aaron Gandhi. So just as hate begets more hate and violence begets more violent because it is said, it is done unto you as you believe. What could happen if it was love and compassion, respect and understanding that was at the core of our belief system? And so this is a call, as I think Aaron has, has mentioned so so well, that this is our opportunity to do some soul searching and to look at our belief systems and because they just, they'll just keep showing up in our world and our response, even though it seems like it's far, far away, can sometimes touch us in ways that we don't expect. And it's one world, it's one mind, and we're all in this together, so to speak. Eleanor Roosevelt wrote one of the essays in this book, As I Believe, and she talks about this developmental nature of our belief system that we teach our kids, and then at some point they get to make up their own minds about their belief systems. And I think Ernest Holmes, if you listen or read his work, he's on YouTube, Reverend Patrick has been referring to that quite often, and... As I listened to it this week, again and again and again, it really reminded me that there is, there is one belief. There is one belief from which all others come. And I realized that in my life I have had beliefs and I've let them go. I just loved it today when the band played, I'm a believer, because we're talking about belief. And there was a song that was a part of my growing up you know, um, I think the Monkees album where that song was on was the very first album my sister and I bought. And we had to go in and on it together because it cost a whole $4. And when you make 10 cents a week allowance, $2 is really hard to save up. <laughs> and I loved the song and it became my favorite. And I loved the beat and I loved to get up and move to it and dance. And I loved to sing the chorus. And as I got a little bit older into my teen years, you know, it became that song that you really wanted somebody to sing to you or for you because you wanted to believe that someone would feel that way about you. And then you fall in love and, and somebody does feel that way about you. And then you fall out of love and, and you wonder, how am I ever going to listen to those songs ever again? And then belief can expand and it can encompass something more than just the day-to-day, -day, the physical appearances. And that love and that belief can encompass something greater. And what Ernest Holmes, our founder, tells us is that there is a power for good in this universe. And the problem for some of us is that that is such a big idea. Such a big idea that there could be a power for good in the universe that responds to us and that we can use, that people think that that's absolutely impossible. 
And so then we have doubt and we have a lack of conviction about this one thing. And if it happens to us as we believe, then that doubt and that lack of conviction becomes our belief. Because the definition of belief is that which we have no doubt about, that which we cannot deny. So if there is any ounce of doubt in the fiber of our being that there is a power for good in the universe, it's going to work a little differently for us, but it's still going to work. So Ernest teaches us that life is a mystery and faith is a mystery. And our belief is sometimes incomplete. And it's when these devastating things happen to us that we lose a loved one or we see some tragic event happen out there or in here with our immediate family and friends that sometimes it, it, it triggers us to challenge what we really think. And sometimes that's a really good thing because sometimes we have maybe held on to a belief that was false. Maybe we held on to a belief that was limiting us in some way, that there's only one person in the world for us, that we need to buy a home and stay in it for the rest of our lives, that our children can only be raised by two parents, not one parent and a whole community of others. Maybe it's time we need to let go of some beliefs that are no longer serving us. And so what does Ernest tell us? He tells us that we need to nurture and practice our belief in a power for good that responds to us according to our own conviction, in our own mind, according to our own thinking. It's a spiritual power. It's invisible. It's not some man sitting in the clouds. It's not some supreme being sitting on Saturn. It's not something that we can lay our eyes on, but it's something that we feel, he says. It is a power for good. It responds to us and it answers our prayers. It is working for us as we believe with faith and confidence. Do I actually believe? Well, I don't know if I did at first, but I practiced. And the gift that Ernest Holmes gave us was teaching us how we can practice. He wrote five steps for an affirmative prayer. The first one is recognition. So when you hear the ministers and practitioners praying, if you've not gone to class and learnt about this thing we call affirmative prayer, there are five steps. The first one is to recognize a power for good. A power for good that works for us, through us, and as us. That is the first belief. Ernest says, with a definite thought, we can direct our thought. We can release doubt and fear simply by reminding ourselves over and over again. And what happens, and, and it happened for me, that I started to come to a place where I did believe because I was seeing the evidence in my life. And I was starting to trust it and call upon it, and use it. And that's what Ernest gave us. He, he told us what it is, a power for good. He told us what it does. It responds to us at the level of our belief. And he told us how to use it. He, told, he teaches us how to use it with our thoughts, in directing it, 
for good for us and for everyone and to receive that good. He tells us that every thought and idea necessary for a thing to become manifest is happening now more abundantly than I could ever imagine. And so we can bless everyone. We can use this power for definite purposes. And as we practice, something in consciousness will shift. We acquire this habit of spiritual practice with repetition. Know that as the rain falls on everyone, Ernest would say, God is present everywhere to everyone. So of course you are good enough to use this power. There was a a blog entry by another um, minister in Calgary, Carol Carnes. No, not Carol. It was Kathy Ann Lewis in Seattle. Sorry. She quoted King David from the Bible in her blog this week. She said, I will, or he said, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So this is how it was written in scriptural terms many, many thousands of years ago. And Ernest Holmes said, there is a power for good in the universe, everywhere, infinite, eternal, working for us. King David had a consciousness of this connection with God. He truly knew that even when he did bad things and things that made him feel unworthy and guilty, he could not leave God's presence. He dwelled in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord in metaphysical terms is often equated with the law. The law in our teaching symbolizes the principle. A principle in science is something that works every time. It's no respecter of persons, places, or things. It works the way it works, and it works that way every time. And so the spiritual nature of life, the spiritual laws, are such that they work every time, everywhere, for everyone. So whose house do I dwell in? Sometimes that's a hard question to answer, just looking at the outside. Am I looking at other people and seeing what house they dwell in? Do they live in a house that was created by commercials, the internet, TV? Do they dwell in a house created by their past, their ancestors and families? Do they dwell in a house created out of guilt and obligation? Sometimes we do. And sometimes these are based on beliefs that we've acquired from someone else. We've acquired through experiences and our uninformed interpretation of these experiences. Do we dwell in a house of materiality? Or do we dwell in the eternal experience of God's everlasting presence, remembering that there is a power for good? So whose house do I dwell in? And I will remember that any time, if a belief isn't working, I can get rid of it, put that house up for sale, move out of it, tear it down, and build another one. If you choose to build another one, Ernest would say, let God assist you in this building process. And in Psalms it's written, unless the Lord built a house, they labor in vain who build it. If we forget that there is a power for good in the universe, if we forget that we are spiritual beings, if we forget who we are, that we are here for life, 
forgiving love, forgiving peace, forgiving joy. If we forget, that is the house that crumbles. Remember that God is always available, always near us, and always willing to reveal itself to the degree we are willing to know its presence. So I say, pick up some of Ernest's books. Pick up a creative thought. Pick up something like our book of the year, 365 Days of Richer Living. Read the first line of some of his affirmative prayers to help you develop the practice of remembering that there is a power for good. It is working through you, it is working as you, it is working for you. It responds to you at the level of your belief. So there is no need to dwell in fear or lack or unworthiness. Call forth your true nature. Just look in in, in nature and see the abundance and how every need in nature is met. That is the same power that is available to you, but you have the conscious ability to choose to use it or not. There is but one presence in the universe. Since it is in and through everything, it must be in and through you. This presence manifests itself in and through all forms, all people, all conditions. This presence is life itself. Its nature is love and givingness. What could happen if I remembered if I believed that there is a power for good, that it responds to me, that I can use it. What could happen if I started each day with that thought? If I started each conversation? If I started each new endeavor remembering that? You see, I don't have to work out the details of how life will unfold. I simply need to remember this because that's the idea that's going to be responded to. And the universe, this spiritual power for good, knows how to do the rest, knows how to inspire me, knows how to give me the information that I need. I don't have to worry that I don't have every piece to the puzzle. I don't have to worry that I don't say every word just right for this newlywed couple. I don't have to worry about anything. I don't have to worry that others forget because every action is a call, a call to be love and a call to give love. And so whatever faces you this day, remember there is a power for good. It is within you. It responds to you. It is working for you. It is here and now. And just, just wait. The rest will follow. Have a wonderful day. Thank you.